Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. My guest today is Robert Carnes. He's a freelance writer and storyteller and the managing editor of The Orange Group, a ministry organization located in Atlanta, Georgia. He also happens to be the author of a brand new 30-day devotional called The Original Storyteller. And Robert is here today to talk to us about the power of storytelling and some techniques that we can incorporate into our sermons. Well, my guest today is Robert Carnes. He's a freelance writer and storyteller. He's the managing editor at The Orange Group, which is a ministry organization in Atlanta, Georgia, and he's also the author of a brand new 30-day devotional for writers, preachers, and otherwise creative Christians. It's called The Original Storyteller. Robert, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, aside from that biographical information and your job titles and such, can you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as your work and its context? Yeah, of course. My first job out of college was as a communications director at uh, a Methodist church here in the Atlanta area, and uh, worked there for about a year and, and moved over into another Methodist church, actually the church that I grew up in, was there for an, about another year, uh, so got kind of some firsthand experience uh, within the church. Uh, after that, I got the opportunity to take a job in marketing for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, so the local chapter here in the state of Georgia, and I worked there for about three years doing um, marketing and communications for a more traditional secular yeah. nonprofit, and that was uh, you know some really really great experiences. And uh, about six months ago, I got the opportunity to to join Orange uh, in the role that you were talking about. Get to do a lot of uh, blogging, podcasting, content creation, project management, kind of wear a lot of different hats. You know, which is very very similar to what I was doing. Uh, you know, when I was working in the church, because I was a one-man band as yeah, a, a yeah. communications director uh, at both of those churches. And so, you know, I had to do a little bit of everything, kind of pitch in where uh, work was needed. But um, when I started in those roles, I, you know, I kind of really took to you know, the church marketing world like a duck to water and and just kind of tried to get in as involved as I could. And so I started blogging uh, for a couple different uh, church marketing blogs, um, some of which you know you may have heard of, Church Marketing Sucks, um, Church Mag, Sunday Mag, That yeah. Church Conference. There's a bunch of different resources out there uh, for people looking to uh, communicate better within the church. And so I've I've been able to have the opportunity to you know write and contribute to a couple of those different places, and that's you know really helps me to you know reach more people, to refine uh, the experiences that I have, and to you know learn from other like-minded people. So that's. That's kind of my story in a nutshell of, you know, doing marketing communications within the church and in the nonprofit world. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with Orange, can you tell us a little bit about the mission of Orange and some of the church leaders and communicators you get to work with through Orange? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the mission of Orange is to influence those who influence the next generation. So essentially we're creating, you know, content, curriculum, resources, training, you know, leadership development, all those kind of things for church leaders, small group leaders, church volunteers, all those people who are working with a, a particularly youth and students, but really anybody who's influencing, again, the next generation for Christ. And so, uh, you know, one of the biggest things that a lot of people are familiar with that Orange does is the Orange Conference every year that happens uh, right here in Atlanta. But uh, there's also the Orange Tour that has about 20 different stops across the country. And again, those are just bringing together lots of great leaders and uh, church communicators that are, you know, trying to influence uh, the next generation. Um, trying to think of some people, our, uh, 
Our founder is uh, Reggie Joyner, who came from uh, North Point Community Church here in Atlanta. You know, uh, a lot of the people within Orange worked uh, under North Point, and that's kind of our kind of, I guess, a, a partner organization, if you will, that we work really closely with, uh, that a lot of people are familiar with. Um, Kerry Newhoff is another great uh, leader. He does uh, a Rethink Leadership Conference every year in Atlanta that's uh, particularly focused on senior pastors and helping them to understand the importance and the value of uh, influencing the next generation. So those are just a couple different uh, places and and things that Orange is about that uh, your audience may be familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. And Kerry was our guest on the podcast last October, so he's a name that folks should recognize. And uh, yeah. and he always talks up the tour. I think John Acuff has been a part of it on and off through the years. And, he is. Uh, so there's really some talented communicators in the Orange sphere. So if our listeners aren't familiar with Orange, it's certainly an organization to check out. And now you're hearing the voice of one of the guys that makes sure all that information gets out and packaged well and is helpful for for us as leaders. Well, we like to ask all of our guests about their philosophies or approaches to writing and communication in general. If you had a mission statement or a guiding principle for your work, what might it be? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, this isn't all-encompassing, but I think a great place to start when it comes to storytelling and communicating is to know your audience. Uh, And one of the kind of, I guess, little catchy phrases that I always say is that who you communicate to impacts what you say, Mm. right? Because the message that you're going to convey really depends on who you're trying to bring it to, right? The audience that you are telling a story to is really going to shape, you know, what details you include, the length of that story, you know, what platform you're going to use to communicate that. Because, you know, we all know that if you're telling, you know, a story to the children's ministry, that's going to look and sound a lot different than if you're going to, you know, tell the same story, the same message to, you know, your a senior adult uh, Bible study class or something yeah, like that. So absolutely. you have to really take into consideration the context of where you're storytelling because that really impacts, you know, again, all of those fine details of of what you're going to say. And a lot of those things kind of happen second nature, right? Like you, you know, I'm not going to include this detail to, you know, this kindergarten class because they're just, it's going to go over their head, right? They're not going to understand it. Or, you know, this older generation is not going to get this, you know, social media reference that I might want to include in the story for a younger audience. So all of those things, again, they happen second nature, but you really have to be aware of them in order to tell stories effectively. Well, this last fall, you published your first book, The Original Storyteller, and I've picked up from some of what you've shared about it on social media and your website that there's uh, kind of a fun and unique story behind how it came about uh, and why you wrote it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the genesis of this book? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, a couple years ago, I read a book called Created for More, which is another 30-day devotional by a guy named Jonathan Malm. And Jonathan is a pretty well-known uh, church marketer, communicator out of uh, San Antonio, Texas. And uh, he's a really great guy. He just has a lot of great creative things going on. And, and this book, Created for More, really inspired me. I was It, it was one of those books that I, I picked up and really enjoyed reading. But I was like, you know what? I think I could do something like this. Like I, I feel like there can be more resources like this, especially for you know, church creatives out there. And, and so that's kind of what set the kind of seed in the back of my mind. And then at the beginning of 2017, uh, I actually underwent, um, joined the 30 Days of Hustle, yeah. which is an online course. You mentioned uh, John Acuff, who is involved uh, with Orange, and one of his kind of projects 
is called The 30 Days of Hustle. It's an online course that helps people for one month kind of achieve their their dreams, if you will. It, it helps them actually every single day work towards accomplishing something. So whether that's running a marathon, whether that's losing 10 pounds, whether that's you know writing five blog posts or publishing a book, you know, that was kind of the impetus for actually kicking this thing into gear. And so I kind of wrote like uh, a manuscript that was probably about 40,000 words <laughs> over the course of those 30 yeah. days. So I really just like, I grounded out. And that first manuscript, let me tell you, probably wasn't worth reading. Mm, yeah. It was just a lot of just, you know, getting the ideas onto the page and and just, you know, squeezing those creative juices, if you will. And so it took me about the next seven months over the course of 2017 to actually refine and polish and tweak and get feedback from a lot of different people that I trust and respect to really refine the original storyteller into you know an actual understandable and legible uh, book now. And so that was kind of the process that it took to actually creating it. And then I self-published the book uh, back in September of 2017. And so that was an interesting process of figuring out all the nuances of how to self-publish, how to promote a book. You know, that's obviously why I'm on this podcast sure. is to talk about it a little bit, is to help spread the word uh, about the book. Uh, because, you know, if you're not publishing through a traditional uh, publishing house, you don't have all those mechanisms for graphic design and promotion and actually doing the logistics of putting the book, you know, in bookstores and on, you know, Amazon and that kind of stuff. So I had to learn a lot along the way, but I did have a lot of people uh, who I know who were very willing, who would publish books themselves and were willing to help me out. So, um, yeah, and that's the great news of, you know, having resources like Amazon is that you can actually self-publish these days and actually get uh, an idea into fruition and into print. That's so great. And uh, let's go ahead and jump into this, um, the meat of this topic about storytelling. Storytelling has become kind of a buzzword in the church. You know, we all, we kind of hold up these concepts for a time and for a time it was relevant. And then there was kind of a season where authentic and authenticity was the buzzword. And I kind of feel like looking at a lot of the church marketing stuff and people like Donald Miller and, and a lot of others, storytelling is sort of the word of the moment. And so why why do you feel storytelling is so important and important enough for you to take this time and put in the energy uh, to write a book about storytelling? Yeah, so there is a really good quote that I think kind of sums up uh, my thoughts on that question. Uh, it's from novelist Ursula Le Guin, and she said that there are great societies who did not use the wheel, but there have been no societies that did not tell stories. Mm. And so I think that's, I mean, it's just such a great way to encapsulate that idea that, you know, throughout history, despite our, you know, distance in geography, our differences in language, our differences in culture, like stories are the common language that all people share, right? You know, doesn't matter how far back in history you go or how, you know, far spread out across the globe people are today, like stories are the thing that unite us all. And I think that's not a coincidence, right? That, you know, the reason for the original storyteller is the fact that, hey, God is the original yeah. storyteller. He's implanted this love and passion for stories in our hearts because that's something that he is passionate about and, and he is part of his identity, right? So that, you know, stories are God's thumbprint on each of us is because we each have a story and we're all part of a greater story, uh, you know, that is building God's kingdom, and so I think that's the reason that stories really connect with people on a much deeper level than, again, just 
basic information that we are so often overloaded with today. And so when we're able to kind of tap into that, that deeper part of each of us, it helps to stand out from all of, again, the information overload. And so that's one of the reasons, you know, within the context of the church, we have such a great story to tell. There are so many great stories, you know, both within the Bible, but also within our congregations and communities that we can leverage and we can share and celebrate together that, you know, why would we default to just making announcements and talking about our events and all this kind of stuff? Those things are good, but the better way, the more effective way to really connect with people is to tell stories about those things because those really, those resonate with people like to their core because that's how God made us. Oh, absolutely. I remember one of my seminary professors telling us that if God had wanted the Bible to be a systematic theology book, uh, or you know, structured like a textbook, it would be. You know that that the Bible is what <laughs> yeah. God wants it to be for us. This is the book that God wanted to give us, and and it is a, a large portion of its stories, and some of it is poetry, and some of it, mm-hmm. you know, is is wisdom literature, and it's not it's not uh, the the thick, dense academic textbook that we then read as commentary on the Bible often in seminary and, and in other places. And so if storytelling is the way that God has communicated with us through the Bible, and it's certainly obviously been a facet of how we tell the gospel from the beginning of the church till now, do you, do you have a sense for why... Uh, there's such a, a, an intense focus on storytelling right now. Do you do you think it's maybe a product of, I don't know, social media or um, or a reaction to a period of time in the church where we were more, um, I don't know, thinking more academically? Or why why do you think it's it's become such a focus now? What what part of the culture, uh, both inside the church and outside of the church, do you think has made storytelling so so big and and so popular right now? I mean, I think it's probably a little bit of two things. Um, I mean, one is the opportunity to tell stories. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, we have social media now, we have podcasts, we have blogs, we have just ample ways that we can share stories. Um, But what that leads to is the second point, which is, again, there were just so many things going on. There are so many podcasts to listen to. There are so many blogs to read. There's, you know, you look at Netflix and there's just so many, (laughs) like there's just an avalanche of content and information and so in order to stand out, in order to you know, set yourself apart and, again, rise above the content overload is to tell great stories, right? And so I mean, I think that's probably why uh, society has definitely been drawn t- more towards stories. Um, the church, I think, is, is still falling behind a little bit. We mm. need to kind of play catch mm-hmm. up. And, of course, that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this is, is like, hey, you know, the church – you know, if we were to leverage stories in the same way that, that you know, our culture does, we would be like head and shoulders above everybody because we have the best stories, right? We have the stories uh, you know, within real people of real transformation, of real life change. And if, you know, everybody was hearing stories like that, then like we would just be, you know, everybody would be drawn towards the church. But I think that we're doing ourselves a slight disservice by really not sharing those stories and leveraging those stories and, and again, celebrating those stories in the way that they deserve. And so that's why the church probably needs to focus even more on storytelling and, and really understand what that means and how we can use stories, again, to stand out from the crowd and not just blend into this white noise that is, again, all the content that is yeah. being produced every single day. Yeah, that's true. The the 
the mechanisms that allow folks like yourself to self-publish allow everyone else to self-publish. Now, um, yep. it, certainly you have to have a level of gumption to actually get the book out you know, into the space. It does take effort, uh, but it does create an overload of, of content. And, and I think this is applicable to preaching because our, our folks that come to church can now access almost any preacher they want around the world through podcasts and things like that, you know? Sure. And so, um, it's not necessarily that we have to be the greatest preacher that they've ever heard because chances are they can go home and download an Andy Stanley sermon or an Adam Hamilton sermon or a Nadia Boltzweber sermon and, and get, you know, an, an experience out of it. Uh, but how, how it, I guess this goes back to what you said in the beginning, contextualizing storytelling to our community is what makes it so effective and what makes it stand out from maybe something profound that Andy Stanley said, if you're not living in Georgia or not living in the South and part of his stream of the church. I know that was a, a whole like fire hose of information. Do you have any thoughts or reactions? <laughs> I'm a terrible interviewer sometimes. <laughs> no, that, that's all right. I mean, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head to what I was going to say is that, yeah, you just need to contextualize all that to your culture and your community, right? Um, yeah, you can watch any how-to video on YouTube and yeah, you can kind of figure out you know, the basics of how to do everything, you know, right at your fingertips on your, you know, on your iPhone or on the internet or whatever. But when you actually have somebody within the church who's able to like say, Hey, here are these real issues. Here are these real problems that you were facing. Like, here's how we can help. Here's how we can build up a community of people that can support one another and be relevant and authentic in their relationships mm-hmm. with one another. That's where the church can actually come into play, right? Yeah, because people could, they could get all of their, you know, spiritual needs met by just watching North Point, you know, and their yeah. message online. And that's why I think a lot of churches are afraid of is, oh my gosh, they're just, you know, everybody's just going to watch my sermons online and they're not going to actually have a need for a church, but that's not true because it's, the church is not just about that content and the stuff that we're preaching on Sunday morning. It's about the relationships and the community that we're able to build over time and in person and, you know, by going into the community and doing community service or just by, you know, having small groups and building relationships that way. I mean, like there's so many other ways that the church serves people beyond just preaching. Um, the preaching is, you know, is one way to kind of draw people in and give somebody a practical message that they can use, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Right. And so if we're able to tell stories, you know, bringing it back around to, the you know the storytelling angle. Uh, if we're able to tell stories about how that community connects and how people are actually building relationships, like that's going to intrigue people and actually make them realize, okay, well, I can actually get something more out of going to church beyond just the Sunday morning message, right? I can actually like, oh, I need I need friends and I need relationships and I need an accountability partner. Like those are kind of things that I crave in my soul. Again, yeah. that's another part of us that God created is, is a, you know, a craving for one another and a craving for relationships. And so once we can kind of let people know, Hey, the church is a place where you can get that need met, then you're going to start seeing people again, still getting their content online, but then actually coming in and, and being fed in other ways within the church. Yeah, that is so true. Well, throughout the 30 days of this devotional, you take us through 30 different elements of storytelling, uh, starting from the very basics and, and taking us up through some more complex and detailed elements of storytelling. When you look at preachers and sermons and even how the church communicates uh, online or within their communities, what are some elements of storytelling that you feel uh, the church struggles with? What elements might be missing that can make our communication more impactful? 
Yeah. So there is definitely one of those 30 different, uh, you know, storytelling features that stands out uh, to me as something that the church needs to understand and utilize a lot more. And that's conflict. Uh, Number one, I think conflict is important because that's really, you know, even outside of the context of the church, that's something that really defines a story, right? If you're telling, you know, something that doesn't have a conflict as a part of it, then you're just, you know, that's kind of like a little anecdote. That's just you talking to somebody, right? But if you're actually weaving in like a beginning, a middle and an end, that's a narrative that's got characters in it and it's got a conflict in it, that's what defines a true story. And so I think just understanding that, first of all, like, you know, what makes a story, uh, that is all wrapped up in a story's relationship to the conflict. And second of all, you know, Conflict is how we can relate to people and how we can make stories relevant to an audience because, you know, people are going through conflicts in their real lives. They have real issues and everybody within the church has got something that's kind of weighing on them. And so if we're able to understand our audience, we're able to figure out kind of what those conflicts, what those issues are within their lives, and then we're able to give them stories mm. that's like, hey, this is how you know, maybe our church or how the Bible or how Christ can meet kind of a resolution to those needs and meet a resolution to the conflicts in your life. You know, they may not completely resolve the conflict, but if it's something that can help somebody address that conflict and figure out what the relationship is with, with it and figure out, you know, this is how to kind of put the, that conflict in its place, that's the true power of what stories have. And and conflict is something that was, you know, it's ever-present within all biblical stories too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, from the fall of man in the Garden of Eden all the way to Christ's, you know, uh, death on the cross, even to the end in Revelation, like conflict is something that is always playing out throughout Scripture, and that's, of course, why it relates to us today. And so the more that we can understand conflict, and, and it's, you know, I, I also bring this up because a lot of people want to shy away from conflict, mm-hmm. right? It's uncomfortable, and talking through some of these issues, like, you know, it's tense, and you've got to kind of figure out how to to really wrestle with with conflicts that people are really going through. But it's worth that time and it's worth the energy of really figuring out, okay, this is how we can frame stories to make it relevant to people and understand, like, you know, you're going to go through these conflicts and it's okay, but here's how to, you know, here's how Christ can actually be a resolution to the story, you know, that you're actually going through. And so, again, conflict is something that the church needs to address. It's something that we often shy away from, but it's something that's so crucial to storytelling that we just can't oversell it enough to to really make a part of the stories that we tell. Yeah, that's so true. And um, I have a side of me that is a conflict avoider. And sometimes it even manifests itself when I'm watching a TV character that I really like end up mm-hmm. in a conflict or in danger. And I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. I like this person. But then I realize, like, this is why I'm watching. This is why the story is interesting is because there's a journey. Like, you know, the show Friends, you can only watch them sit around in the coffee shop and make jokes for so long before it starts right. to get a little boring. You need that thrust for action. Well, one of the things you mentioned multiple times in that answer was resolution. And I, and I wanted to ask ask you about this because um, obviously there is an ultimate resolution coming that is assured the the kingdom of God will um, last forever Christ will return and everything will be redeemed and eventually the forces of evil will be completely overthrown and, and removed for all eternity but sometimes when the church even if they're good at addressing conflict can end up making the resolution sound really hollow or cheap or um, 
or too easy? I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you have any? Do you have any thoughts on ways to make uh, to present resolution in a way that still feels authentic? That's a great question, and I mean, I'm sure that one of the reasons that it comes across that way is because there probably isn't an easy answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it it does matter how you set up the conflict because that it gives context to the resolution. So that's I think one of the ways that we can help is, you know, going back to my previous answer of, of making sure that we are taking the time to really rest in that conflict for a minute and really kind of sit in that tension, even though it's uncomfortable. I I think that can help kind of contextualize the resolution and say, yeah, you know, you know, crisis coming back, but what do we do in the meantime? Mm -hmm. Well, here's how you can kind of deal with these, these conflicts. This is what Christ says about, you know, dealing with this particular sin issue or something like that. So, I, I mean, I'd say that's the, probably the closest thing that I can come up with because, I mean, yeah, that's a that's a great answer that um, or a great question that I, I don't exactly know the answer to because it's something that yeah we're all going to have to kind of figure out um, you know while while we're kind of while we're waiting on this earth and yeah. while we're going through the journey of of our particular stories. I, I think you're right. I think highlighting the conflict and making sure that there's really something at stake is is helpful. I it's kind of yes. earning the resolution. We've all seen even some of the superhero movies, you know, where um you you know going into it that Batman is going to win or the Avengers are going to win. Um and so we know the end of the story, but what makes it a good story and what makes the resolution satisfying or unsatisfying is the journey to getting there and whether they really earned that resolution, or if it just feels like, well, duh, they're more powerful than everyone. So absolutely. A while back, I listened to a conversation with a screenwriter who said this renaissance of storytelling is is a double edged sword because he said, obviously, I love well told stories. Uh, I appreciate it. This is a skill I'm good at. This is my job. I I love that people are appreciating storytelling, and we're sort of in a golden age of of storytelling on television and things like this. But he's like, storytelling is also a very powerful tool, and it can be used to manipulate. Everything from from uh, entertainment to politicians to the church, uh, storytelling can be can go from something that is persuasive to something that is manipulative, and certainly that that's a fine line, um, and it may be contextual for you know your community and things. But do you have any thoughts or tips for uh, pastors who want to incorporate storytelling but want to make sure they're doing it in a responsible way? Yeah, yeah. So one of you know the thirty days that is in the original storyteller is emotion. And I think that truly good stories, effective stories involve some sort of emotion Mm -hmm. and elicit some sort of emotional response from your audience. And usually the stronger the response, that's, you know, the better the story, the stronger the story that you're telling. So it really depends on what emotion you're trying to hit on within your audience. You know, some stories are sad and you want to kind of tug at those heartstrings a little bit. Some stories are funny. Some stories can be kind of a little scary and you want to kind of maybe guilt somebody into something. And so when you start to get into that territory, I think that's where that kind of manipulation starts to Mm. come in, right? And so you have to be very, very careful of, you know, what emotion you're targeting, what kind of outcome you want to have in the story. Because really, most of the times when we're communicating a message within a church or a nonprofit or any sort of organization, like we do want to tell, uh, you know, stories that's going to compel our audience to do something, right? And so that's usually where that emotion is tied in. Hey, you know, we need donors, and so we're going to tell a sad emotional story that's going to compel you yeah. to give to our organization, right? And so that's the context that I was coming from when I worked at Make Wish. That was where we wanted to be, right? We wanted to to tell stories that would, you know, encourage people to give and support our organization. But of course, 
there's a very fine line there because you we never wanted to exploit right. the people that we were serving to make them seem like, hey, we're, we're selling these stories in order to get money, yeah, right? Yeah. That's a really negative way to think about it. On the positive side, it's like, hey, these are r- real stories that are happening. These are real needs that are, are being met. You can help support these things. You can be a part of this story in order to you know, help these kids and, and you know, give back with, with your money, with your time, all that kind of thing. So it's, I mean, part of it's how you frame it. Uh, if you're framing the story in the right way and you're saying, you know, being open and honest, that's where the authenticity part comes in. If you're being honest with people, it's a, it's a lot harder to manipulate yeah. them. Um, and, and, you know, knowing that, hey, there is an action we want you to take, but, you know, we want you to give. But at the same time, you're not forced to give it all. This is just a story that's going to compel you to do it because, you know, there's a need here. And so just being cognizant of that fact and cognizant of what emotion, what outcome you're trying to get from your audience, I think as long as you take all those things into account and as long as you do have the best intentions, everything will turn out okay. But, I mean, it is very true. I'm glad you brought up this point because, yeah, there are oftentimes that stories can be used to manipulate. And that's something we need to be very careful of, especially within the church, because there are plenty of people who want to use uh, the stories that we have and the willingness for people to give back and, and to give to God, there are going to be people who want to manipulate. And so we just have to be very, very careful of that. Yeah, that's so true. And and I would say it's, I think it's one of those things where if you're a preacher who's worried about it, then you're probably okay. You know, it's like right. if you're aware of it and you're paying attention to it and you are not like sinisterly, like really turning up the waterworks at the end of a sermon because you're fundraising for the new pastoral executive suite, like I, I think right. you're probably okay. Um, well, we have a set of questions that we like to ask all of our guests. And the first one is, what is one of your most favorite or most challenging community communication experiences or projects? So, I mean, this kind of ties into the last answer I just gave. Uh, I'd say that one of the most challenging projects that I had to work on recently was uh, about a year ago when I was still at Make-A-Wish. Um, we had a fundraising campaign, uh, the, the goal of which was to raise $10,000 on one day. And I was asked to kind of head that up because it was part of our online marketing um, you know, kind of development side of things. And I had never done any fundraising before. And I was a little nervous about it to, you know, we had the year before raised only a thousand dollars through this campaign. And so I was uh, a little trepidatious as, you know, to, to try to figure out how I would be able to, you know, increase our giving through that campaign tenfold. Um, but one of the ways I did it, you know, we, we did the traditional, you know, email marketing and social media marketing, but we, the, I think one of the reasons we were able to have success and we were able to raise the $10,000 thereabout on uh, this, you know, this online giving campaign, uh, it was because we engaged the community. We had an event um, a couple days before and we, you know, we invited people to come and we got one of our, you know, our national partners to you know, sponsor a space and they gave us free food. We were able to invite about 150 of our families that we serve and our volunteers and our board members and our staff. We got everybody together and we, you know, communicated very clearly, you know, this is what the need is, this is why we're fundraising this way, and uh, this is how you can support us. And we were able to kind of create almost like a grassroots movement a little mm, bit yeah. to, to, you know, raise those funds on that day. Um, and I think it helped also create some more momentum, you know, throughout the year. Uh, that was just kind of the start of a great thing, but I think it really it worked well. And I can't take full credit for this because it was I had a whole team working with me to do this. But 
one of the keys to our success was really engaging our people, engaging our community, being honest with them, uh, sharing true stories of why this would impact people and, and why they should be involved. Well, as someone who uh, thinks deeply about storytelling and incorporates it into your work, do you have a preference for Christmas Eve or Easter? <laughs> so uh, this may be a little blasphemous as we are about three weeks from Christmas right now as we record this, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm actually a, a, more of an Easter guy. Um, I, I think it's mostly just because I don't like the cold weather. Okay. Uh, we were talking about before we, we hit record on this podcast that it is actually getting ready to snow here in Atlanta, yeah. and uh, that just makes me want to wrap it with a blanket and not leave the house. <laughs> um, so... I mean, I love obviously both of those holidays very, very much, but um, I think I'm more of an Easter guy because I just, I like the spring. I like the warm weather. Who have been some of the most impactful communicators uh, or or even just some of the most impactful stories in your life and why? Yeah, so I've got uh, a couple different um, communicators in mind. A couple of these we've mentioned already throughout this conversation. Uh, John Acuff uh, is one who's, again, because of the 30 Days of Hustle, because of some of the awesome books and blogs that he writes, um, has really inspired me in a bunch of different ways to, uh, you know, do the things that I'm doing. So Acuff is is definitely one of them. Uh, a guy named Jeff Goings, uh, he's a writer, writer and writing coach uh, located up in Nashville, and uh, he's got a, a bunch of great books as well. I mean, they're more focused on actually writing, which is obviously something I'm very, very passionate about. But yeah. You know, a lot of these just, you know, communication philosophies and the thing about, you know, knowing your audience and communicating clearly and effectively to them. You know, these are a lot of things that I'm learning from what he teaches. And so I think he's another great guy just for communications in general. Like he he really knows his stuff. And then finally, Donald Miller, who's, you know, another one that you had mentioned earlier, uh, you know, with his story brand company, the blog that they have, the podcast that they have, and then the book that he recently published. Um, you know, he just, man, he really knows how to use stories and how to, how to clearly communicate like what the needs are and how to really reach to your audience. And I mean, I've seen a lot of different organizations transformed by some of the principles that he teaches, uh, just because it's so, I mean, it's so practical and it, it seems like a, well, duh moment. Um, but you know, there's not a lot of people who are doing it because it does take time and effort to do these kind of things. But they really do. I mean, they make a tremendous difference. Well, are there any books, podcasts, or other resources out there that you would recommend our audience check out? Yeah. So uh, Kim Myers wrote a book called Less Clutter, Less Noise uh, several years ago, but that's one of the best books that I've ever read on church communication. It really is. I mean, it's, Again, a lot of the things that I talk about, a lot of the ideas that I come up with are borrowed from you know resources like this one. It's just, again, it seems so obvious just to focus on one message and just you know how to, rather than announcing 15 things from the pulpit every Sunday morning, like, let's pick one and let's do it really, really well. Like, those type of ideas of, of removing the clutter from how we communicate, again, it seems so obvious, but it's yet so powerful when we do it. And so I think her book, Less Clutter, Less Noise, is a great way to how to actually practically do that. Uh, another book, uh, Jab, 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 Right Hook, is by a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. And um, he may be a little bit more controversial. Uh, he's, uh, you know, some of the language that he uses is, is a little choice uh, at times, but he is still a guy who, I mean, man, he's, he's a dynamic speaker, he is very self-assured. Uh, he's got a bunch of different books out there, but Jab, 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 Right Hook is about social media, and it's about how you can practically communicate 
uh, to people using social media. And it's for you know the wider business world, but I think there's a lot of principles that we within the church can can learn from it. And one of the crazy things to me is that I mean, I think it was written probably about seven years ago, and yet it's still probably one of the most relevant books on social media yeah, yeah. today, which, I mean, you know, that changes constantly, but yet he was able to kind of get to the core principles of what makes social media work and effective. And once you focus on those things, like they never go out of style, right? Those things yeah. never, ever change. And he was able to kind of focus on those so well. Awesome. And finally, uh, if folks want to get in touch and say hi, or they have questions for you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So uh, you can follow me, obviously, or reach out on many of the social media channels uh, at Jam Rob Carr. Uh, my full name is James Robert Carnes. And so the first three letters of of those names. I get a lot of questions about why that's my handle, but that's, that's why that is. So at Jam Rob Carr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. Um, I'm pretty active on all social channels. Um, obviously if you want to find out more about the book and there's a couple different ways to, to contact me as well on the website, originalstoryteller.com. Um, I'm working on a bunch of different resources, uh, even beyond the book about how churches can communicate better, uh, using stories. I'm posting them all on that website. And one of them just happens to be, I just got um, the first seven chapters of the book posted on the YouVersion Bible app yeah. as a reading plan. So if you want to check that out, uh, you know, go to open up your Bible app and search the original storyteller and you can get, check out a free preview of the book there. That's great. Well, Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this was a fun conversation. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.